Isn't it good to worship God? <clears throat> hmm? Wonderful. Heavenly Father, we ask you that, uh, Lord, as we consider affairs of your church, Lord, some of them practical considerations. Lord, I pray that you will be honoured, that Jesus will be seen in what we do. And uh, Lord, that you uh, will encourage us by your spirit this morning. Lord, particularly as we come to passages of your word. Lord, inspire us, we pray. Speak to us, Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as Steve said, this is the, we're coming to the end of our series on our Vision and Values booklet. And we started it on uh, September the 11th. We shouldn't forget that, should we? 9-11 when we, when we started it. But uh, that's famous for a very sad and tragic reason. But, um, and we say we're coming to the end of a series of sermons that, um, about this booklet that explains w- what it means to be a Christian and joined to the church and also... Uh, what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ and how that's worked out here in this local church. Churches are slightly different in their style and their practice. Most churches would probably tick a list of values, Christian values, but we order them differently in church. So on the top of somebody's value may be orderly services, you know, nice prim and proper services. Uh, that may not be at the top of our, our list, perhaps. <laughs> but, but we often share, you know, share similar values. But what we hope is that this book helps us to understand um, what are the values here. And um, I said at the time when we opened the series that the book will be uh, mainly used for those uh, who want to join us in membership. It will be part of a, an introductory course because we think it's important as people come among us and want to be um, firmly associated with us that we take time to talk over um, what we understand by the gospel. Um, It may surprise you that um, there may be some slight variations across the town how different churches express the gospel. Uh, It's important that we understand what's expected of members and what members um, can expect of us. It's so that people coming into membership can come in on clear ground. Um, I've got experience of um, being in a church that that didn't do this um, and everything was fine for a while until little things began to emerge where it was quite clear that people had different expectations and it caused a lot of friction which I think was very unnecessary. So it's good to do something like this. When we started, the first session was on saved and added. We looked at the fact that although there are many descriptions as to what God does when we come to faith, it's kind of summed up in the word, we are saved. We're saved from sin, we're saved from ourselves. And God um, makes us his children. And we also saw that we are added. We are added to the church of Jesus Christ. And we looked at that little scripture in the Acts of the Apostles where it said, and God added to the church daily 
those who are being saved. It was God who was adding people to the church, not people saying, I think I'll join that, uh, as we do with lots of things in the world, don't we? I, I, I'm gonna, I think I'll go and join that. But in the essence of being a Christian and part of the church is that God has joined us. And it's wonderfully true that when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, God not only performs a miracle there of saving us from our sins uh, and making us his children, giving us the gift of eternal life and all those things that we celebrate about that, but God also performs, performs the miracle of adding us to the church. It is a miracle. It's what God sees. It's what God does. He adds us to the church of Jesus Christ. And um, it can be described as being part of his family or being part of his body of, of whom he is the head. Um, and it's an act of grace on God's part. It's entirely a work of God uh, without us contributing anything to it. Uh, in any way, just like our salvation. We didn't contribute to that and we actually can't contribute to the actual adding of ourselves to the church. That's very, What we do afterwards confirms that and works it out. So once we've been added, we need to find an environment in which we can grow and develop as God intends us to be. I, I, I kind of thought about this, what can we liken it to? And I think we can liken it to natural birth a little bit, um, by the miracle of con conception and birth we emerge as legitimate, bona fide members of the human race, don't we? That's absolutely certain. We are now born into the world as members uh, of the human race. We did nothing to achieve it, it was conferred on us. We didn't elect to be that way, we didn't decide anything about it, it was conferred on us. And from then on, we need an environment where we can grow and develop into the full potential of this life that's been given us. Most certainly in the early stages, at least, we do not choose that environment. It's chosen for us. We have a physical family who have the responsibility to love and nurture us uh, and encourage us and train us to become fully mature adults. Just being a member of the human race doesn't automatically produce mature growth. I don't know if you can, most of you are certainly old enough to think back to the revolution in Romania um, when the Ceausescu uh, regime was overthrown and people from the West managed to get into Romania, particularly the press, with their cameras and they went into orphanages. And can you remember the, the terrible scenes that we saw there? Now, accepting the fact that many of the children there were mentally retired, nevertheless, there were teenagers still in nappies, still in their cots. And they were bona fide members of the human race, but they had not developed because the environment was not conducive uh, to development. So it's so important. So it is with the church. God makes us members of the church, but we need a local church family to work out what God has put in. We need that special environment to grow in grace and maturity. We need a particular family within which to work out our discipleship. Now, whilst it's true, and I've alluded to it, that once we are saved, once we become Christians, we're part of God's worldwide family. Automatically, we are part of that family. And many of us have had the privilege of going to other countries 
and just knowing that we're one with those believers. And that's really great and we can gain from that and we can benefit from that. But in the New Testament, most of the teaching about what it is to be a member of the church, what it is to love and forgive others, what it is to be a disciple of Jesus and work that out in the context of committed relationships is all about the local church. We can't fully work out the things that are mentioned in the New Testament unless we're in a committed relationship in a local church. It's so, so important. However, unlike the newborn baby, we can, in many cases, choose that local church family, that local church where we want to be joined. Although, of course, some people, um, they grow up from a baby in a particular church and they may stay there uh, right into adulthood. That may be the case. But many people have something uh, of a choice about that. Um, When I was um, first a Christian, uh, people did not move church very much. Can you remember that time? You know, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Congregationalist, or I'm a Methodist, and you stayed with that church. You had no particular reason to try others. I remember when I was going on holiday as a Baptist, I looked for the Baptist church to go to on holiday. And uh, when we moved down here from Welling, uh, we looked for a Baptist church. That was what you did. But today, however, there's much more fluidity, uh, partly because old barriers have been broken down, I'm pleased to say. Old barriers between and suspicions between denominations and different churches has been broken down. And because there's been such a big cross-fertilisation of worship and Christian music, everybody's grabbing it. One time, everybody used Graham Kendrick songs, almost, so superficially, there was very little difference between many of the churches, um, particularly um, you know, in terms of worship and style and so on, um, in, even if they had different denominational labels. And you can get to a situation now where perhaps a Baptist church in a town has more in common with the Anglican church in the town than it does with the Baptist church in the next town. Uh, because being Baptist or being Anglican has been changed because people can choose lots of different styles and so on. I think as a result of all this, it seems that people move churches more readily. Uh, people just didn't change uh, years ago. And it's, somebody tells me that if you've moved once, then you find it easier to move again and change churches. So people do change churches for various reasons. So... If somebody's going to change church or they're moving into a town and they want to find a church, um, what do they look for? What are, the, what are the things that cause them to be drawn to a church and, and hopefully ultimately become members of that church? Well, my guess is that, that they will make choices or we will make choices, initially at least, on what you might call secondary issues. It's how does this church feel? When I come in, how do I feel about it? Rather than what are their doctrines, what are their values, or whatever. So you might get questions like, did I get a warm welcome when I got there? Now you might remember that Joe and I had a holiday in, um, in Yorkshire, and what was a very lively church was not very good at welcoming. We, we went in, and we weren't, we weren't welcomed when we got there, and we weren't welcomed afterwards. Nobody spoke to us. 
And, and you come, I mean, not that we were interested in joining the church, but it, it, it has an effect. So are the people friendly? That's very important. Um, I know that there are people here, right, who moved into the town and they did the rounds of the churches as is proper to do to find out where you should be. And they came back here and said, we've come here because we got the best welcome. Right? And that's great. That's really good. They might ask the question, is the leader approachable? Did he personally speak to me? That's very important to some people. All right? Yeah, I went to that church and the leader came right up to me and he, you know, and well, there we go. Uh, are there people here of my age? You know, will I fit in? All right? Will I make friends? Yeah. Do I connect with the worship style? Um, these days, we can be very picky about worship styles because there are so many and different things. Whereas at one time, you didn't take much notice of it. I was a Baptist. We had the Baptist church hymn book, and that was it. Nothing else. That was just the one we used. But now, there are all sorts of styles, so that may influence you. Do I find, or did I find the sermons interesting and helpful? All right, that's a biggie, isn't it? All right. And is the church open to the community? Now these things are important and they're first impressions for people when they come in and it might mean whether they actually stick around or not if they find these things favourable. But they're secondary in terms of such things as a biblical understanding of the gospel. As I said, you might find slight differences across the town and how we understand and express the gospel. The centrality of scripture that may be very important, and we think it's extremely important, that scripture uh, is our authority for life and conduct as a Christian. Um, welcoming the Holy Spirit and his gifts, as we did this morning. We think that's very, very important. The role of leaders, church, government, and the understanding of the place of the church in God's plan for the ages. What's the church for? What's it all about? What's God doing with the church? These things are very important. So as well as being drawn to the church by what we might call secondary issues, those contemplating becoming members need an opportunity to consider the primary values, the things that we think are absolutely foundational and very, very important in church life. Some of the other things might change. Our worship style might change. Other things might change. But our values should not change. Uh, they are there uh, for good. And people need to know that they're happy with those values and they wholeheartedly endorse them. Hence our vision and values course, which we hope that those wanting to join will be happy to attend as a way of exploring. It's not that if you attend the course, then you're definitely going to become a member. It means that you're, you want to explore that. Now I do realise that there will those um, there may be those perhaps who are new Christians who haven't had enough experience or knowledge uh, to make any judgments about what we're teaching in terms of the values, and they may have to take that on trust to some extent. But whoever you are, whether you're a new Christian or whether you're an experienced and well-seasoned Christian, going through a course like this should be a good experience. It should be looking again at, at old truths, but maybe expressed slightly differently. And we trust that God will speak to us every time we consider these things and turn to his word.
And of course, those who uh, already have a good understanding of biblical values, attending the course may help them decide if this is the church where God wants you to join. That is important, isn't it? That we actually know where God wants us to join. Um, sometimes we get visitors here, and I go out and I think, oh, that's really nice. How are you? What's, are you just moved into the town? Yes. Uh, and uh, what's happening? Well, we're going just going around the churches, just finding out where we should be. And I say, that's absolutely right. Much as in my heart, I'm thinking, let's grab them. Let, let's have them for our church, right? But if God's not adding them here, that will be futile. Abs- they've got to know that it, this is where God uh, is placing them. So, how does one express being a member of the local church? How do we how do we express that? Well, typically, churches either have what you might call an informal membership or they might have a formal membership. Now, in the church that I was in before I came here for many years, certainly for the vast part of that time, it was an informal membership. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's where a person starts attending on a regular basis and they express their commitment by being involved in the core activities of a church, worshipping on a Sunday, being involved in a home group, coming to prayer meetings and so on. And they, little by little they begin to take responsibility and so on. And almost by default they are assumed to be members. Uh, and that's how it was. We, and in a sense there was nothing wrong with that but I believe it had its limitations and, short, and some shortcomings about it. Uh, and eventually people are kind of recognised as members, or I suppose they're a member now, are they, sort of touch, you know, because there was no particular definite point where that was declared. So that's informal membership, but what about formal membership? Well, this is where someone having freely attended the church over a period and participating in church life and maybe taking some minor roles, not leadership roles, but minor roles in the church, after having attended the Vision and Values course, they express the desire to become full members of the church, which is in some way publicly recognised by the church. and Everybody knows that this person has now committed themselves to be a member. Now, that doesn't mean you're committing for life. It means for the time being... This is where God want, you feel God wants you and you're prepared uh, to commit yourself to that until God moves you on. It isn't a lifetime commitment. And what we find, of course, is under these circumstances, there is a clearer distinction between those who are non-members and those who are members. And um, there is a choice for people as to whether they move from being a non-member and some of those non-members may not be Christians yet, uh, or they may be Christians who haven't decided fully where they should be rooted. But ultimately comes a choice. Now, if you're sharp, um, having, me having described committed, sorry, um, formal membership, you might say, well, from the New Testament, um, looking at the life of the early church, I can't see anything there of the formal membership that you are describing and with that they might say um, should we seek to go beyond what the scripture says and that's a good question to ask isn't it should we should we go beyond by what we see in the new testament well we what we find in the new testament are principles 
all right, that we hold on to and we apply in every situation. And there are practices. And we have to ask ourselves, is it reasonable to add some practices? Is there a good reason for it? And what I want to do now is to compare the environment of the early church and the environment that we're in now. And from that I conclude that there is an advantage in having a formal style of membership. When the church was born, as we read in the Acts of the Apostles, there was a very natural distinction between those who were part of the church and those who weren't. It was pretty obvious. Part of the distinction was as a result of the fact that there was a a sense of awe that surrounded the apostles' ministry. Many miracles were taking place at, at that time. And people didn't, didn't want to be associated with the church unless they were convinced that actually God had joined them to the church. Let me just read you a little bit of that. The apostles performed, this is Acts 5 by the way, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So we've got a group of people who don't dare join them, but we've got another group of people that God is adding to the church. And I would suggest to you that those that didn't dare join them had no conviction that that God had saved them and, and joined them to the church. They were just interested bystanders almost. But there was a clear distinction uh, when the um, uh, of those that God had actually joined. Another reason was the threat of persecution for those who joined. So only those who knew they were saved would risk being associated with the church. Today, here in the UK, the situation is very different. The church is very much a part of the fabric of our society. It's been so for hundreds of years. There's a general acceptance that enables us to engage with our community in a variety of ways as we seek through serving to show the love of God to our neighbours. So we are accepted as as a charity. We we have a tax rebate. We are recognised by the government as a legitimate charity. And as a result of this openness, um, people become associated with the church at various levels. And this is good. We welcome it because it's an opportunity uh, to gently communicate the gospel to people who have come in at various levels into the life uh, of the church. So in these circumstances, having a formal membership can be helpful. And here are some of the reasons why. Why I think it can be helpful. Allowing people to make a choice regarding full membership gives an opportunity for discipleship issues to be addressed. For example, let's take baptism. Right? We, we have a conviction here that if you're a believer, you need to be baptised. It's a command of Jesus. There's no option about it. Um, Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples and baptise them. And uh, we believe that's appropriate for people who are believers. Now, there may be people who attend... Uh, who are believers, but and I've met them who say, well, God hasn't told me to be baptised yet uh, and, and I'm waiting for God to tell me or I'm not sure about baptism. Well, the thought that this will be a, an issue that's discussed 
um, and in coming up to membership. It's a, it's a good opportunity to address some of these discipleship issues. Um, and, and in terms of wider issues, the gap between the world and the church on moral issues has become much greater in recent years. And we understand that, don't we? That there's a huge movement in the world away from what we would call biblical moral values. And whilst um, you know we want to hold fast to these values, um, you know, unequivocally we want to hold fast to them. On the other hand, we want to be open. Uh, and to welcome people into the life of the church as visitors who may not yet have embraced these values. Right? We want to be open. We're not, in a, we're not in a place to judge other people. So we want to be able to welcome them without them feeling that actually they've got to make a change at that point. And um, so we do this um, and we consider them as, as not yet members. Uh, and I think that's helpful, really. Hopefully it's helpful to them and to us. Uh, on page 18 of our book, which is the last lesson, which is called Expectations, it's like where do we go from here, it's quite obvious that the, what, what may be expected from us as leaders and what may be expected from members uh, towards the rest of the church really is for people that have made a clear commitment uh, to join. From a leadership point of view, it's important to know who we are responsible for in our pastoring of the church. Um, The word pastor means shepherd. And it's important to know who the flock are, really. It's important that the flock have have acknowledged um, that they're willing to be pastored in that situation because clearly we are not responsible for everybody who walks through the door. Um, It's only those who consent to that who who want to be part of of the pastoring ministry uh, of the church. So having a formal membership uh, can help this. And um, people um, accept the fact that they are willing to be pastored by the church, to be taught and encouraged, uh, and also prepared to take some responsibility. So what I've described here... In, particularly in terms of formal membership, you might say is an expedient. All right? An expedient is something that is helpful, it's practical, and so on. But I believe in our generation it certainly can be, uh, can be helpful. Churches have different systems, but there are many churches. The Baptist Church down the road, I know for a fact, has a formal membership. And when we started the course, I said, in talking about this, in issuing the book and so on, we're not bringing into question those who are already members here. We're not saying you've got to go through the hoop and do different things. But in future, uh, as people desire membership, then uh, we hope, hopefully, they'll be happy to go through the vision and values course and so on. So I'm afraid that's a bit nuts and bolts, isn't it, really? It's all a bit practical. Um, and, I, and I want to move, I'm going to change gear just for a few moments. And let's say why, why, why are we making so much fuss about joining the local church? What's so important about the local church that we need to even consider these things uh, about membership? Well, in closing, I, I want to give you some reasons for being wholeheartedly committed to the local church. If you're a believer uh, of Jesus Christ, that you know that you're saved, then I would contend you need 
to be wholeheartedly committed to a local church, as well as recognising the, the wider church. And whatever we do as Christians, it should be a response to what God has done in our lives. Um, that's, that's why we do what we do. We don't do things because they're legalistic, uh, because there are rules we've got to obey. We hopefully are responding to God because of what he has done. And Paul writes to the Romans and he says, um, you know, because of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done on your behalf. Isn't it reasonable now to give your life to him? And that can apply personally, of course, right across life, but also in terms of church life. What we're going to do now is briefly look at a number of New Testament scriptures which give us an idea of what God thinks about the church, how important the church is to God, and what the place of the church is in God's great plan uh, for the ages. So we're just going to look at some scriptures. I'm going to comment on them briefly uh, before we close. So can we have the, the first scripture, please? This is Jesus talking, isn't it? We Very famous scripture. After Peter had confessed that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and he says, I tell you, Peter, and on this... Sorry, I, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This tells us that Jesus is building something that will last forever. Right? Nothing, absolutely nothing, will thwart it, will destroy it, will stop its progress. This is what, what Jesus is doing. And for me, I want to be part of what Jesus is doing. I want to be part of the thing that's going to last forever. We give ourselves to so many things in this life, and we all do it, uh, and it's, it seems so important at the time, but we have an opportunity to give ourselves to something that Jesus, our Saviour, is building, and it will last forever. Have the next one, please. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Christian's there, right at the beginning of his letter. And he says this, to the church of God in Corinth. This reminds us it's God's church. It's, it's not our church, it's not the leader's church, it's not the people's church. It's God's church. It's the church of God. And then he goes to describe those who make up the church of God. What sort of people? He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That means set aside for God's purposes. Chosen and set aside for the purpose of God. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. God thinks so highly of us and he has placed us in his church and we are called to be holy and, and live together um, with, with those who are likewise called. So it's God's church and God has selected us. He has chosen us, set us aside for his purpose. That's what it means to be holy. It means set aside for the purpose of God. Next one. Got a few scriptures from Ephesians now. And God placed all things under his feet. That's Jesus. In other words, he's given him full every authority, full authority, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church 
I think we can readily understand that the place that Jesus has uh, uh, in the, the purposes of God, that he is to be honoured above all things. We understand that. And at the moment, he is restoring all things so that in everything he might have the preeminence. Jesus will stand supreme above all things. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is his Lord to the glory of God. We understand that, but what is this bit about the church? That he's doing it for the church. Well, my understanding of this is that we are to be, the church will become the bride of Christ and we are to be the eternal companion of the Son of God. In, in the ages to come, we are the eternal companion and we will rule and reign with him. So he is establishing his rule right now so that we can share in that rule and reign. I don't understand that fully, but that's what I believe the scriptures teach us. That we're not going to be idle sitting on clouds, playing a harp. We've got jobs to do and we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. That's really exciting, I think. And it's for the church that he did it. Next one. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Would you choose the church to display God's wisdom? This, you know, God Almighty, Creator God, perfect in every way, would you choose the church and say, this is, that we're going to display God's wisdom? Here it is. Oh dear. <laughs> there is a particular case here. What Paul is talking about is something amazing that happened that people who were at enmity with one another, Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, amazingly, God found a way of reconciling them together. That was his wisdom, to reconcile them, and he did it by making them one new man in Christ. The Jew and the Gentile became new people, both united in Christ. And it's through the church that God says, this will be demonstrated. And so we expect that in the church... There will be people from diverse backgrounds, maybe different racial backgrounds, different social classes. They will come together and there is a way to be reconciled together and to live together in harmony because we become one new man. And the church should demonstrate that. When people come in here, they should find that we're different people. We, we, we come from different backgrounds. We talk differently, whatever else, but we're one people in God, because God performed a miracle and placed us into his church. So the church is a demonstrating church. It's demonstrating something to the world. There are churches, particularly in South Africa, have made great strides in becoming multicultural. Very hard, very hard to do that. But they believe it's important because it displays something of God's wisdom and God's heart for the nations, that we should be one people, one new tribe. In God. Next one, please. Although this is a, a passage that, on the one hand, is talking about how husbands should treat their wives, and it's a very high standard, extremely, it also speaks about Christ. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We know that Christ loved us as individuals. 
We have an individual faith. We often say, we speculate, that if I was the only person in the world who needed saving, Jesus would have died for me. You know, we often say that, don't we? It's slightly speculative, but I think there is a principle there that we are personally saved through personal faith in Jesus Christ. But here we see that Christ loved the church. He loved us corporately. And he died to have a people, not just isolated individuals. He died to have a people. And he, and he gave himself up for her. He gave everything he had to have this people that would be his bride, the church. And he's not content with that. Before the end of the ages, when we are presented to him, we won't have the wrinkles. Hallelujah. All right? If you've got wrinkles... They're going, right? We won't have the wrinkles. Amazing, isn't it? But it doesn't mean physical wrinkles, does it? But it means that Jesus not only loved us and gave himself for us, but he's working on our behalf to sanctify us, to make us more like himself so that we will be presented to him perfect. And it's the church that Jesus loved and gave himself for. Next one, please. This is a scripture that David used um, a couple of weeks ago from 1 Timothy. Uh, Timothy was an apostolic delegate, if you like. He uh, was uh, told by Paul uh, to work on his behalf. And um, he says this, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So he's got to be doing some tuning up of that particular church in Ephesus, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. What does that mean? Well, it might mean lots of things, but I believe partly it means that we are custodians, the only custodians of the truth of the gospel. It's not given to anybody else to to cherish and to proclaim. It's given to the church. So we are custodians of that. We have this treasure that we call the gospel and God has given it to us. And what an immense privilege. As weak as we feel we are at times, as ineffective as sometimes we feel we are, God has entrusted us with a treasure that he's entrusted no one else with. No organisation, nothing else has been entrusted with this treasure to keep it, to preserve it, to pass it on, to proclaim it. So we are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So we might say, what then should our, our response be? Should we treat church casually? Should we be half-hearted about church? When God is full-hearted about his church and Jesus died for his church and it's the place where the, the means of saving the world is deposited. We, we have the means of, of saving the world. It's, it's our deposit to pass on to others. And it's so important. So what, what should our response be? Well, if we have the next scripture, which is the last one. This is, this is how they responded, seemingly on the day of Pentecost or soon after it. Right? A number of people, 3,000 have been added to the church, and immediately they were a community these people, and we have this word devoted. They devoted themselves. Now, I don't need to tell you what the word devoted means. 
It means giving yourself to something wholeheartedly. Sometimes it means exclusively, but we don't actually give give ourselves to the church exclusively, but it certainly must mean wholeheartedly. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that would be the word of God among us. To the fellowship, that is being together, loving one another, serving one another. To the breaking of bread and prayer, that could be communion, worship and certainly prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Isn't that absolutely amazing? All these people that seem to be coming into Jerusalem, they're now formed into the church and immediately it's something, something different. There's something different about them. They're not self-centred anymore. Uh, they are prepared to present their bodies as the living sacrifice, as we talked about earlier. They're prepared, prepared to consider others before themselves. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know whether there's a cause and effect here. I don't know whether this quality of life that was being displayed was the means of salvation for many. People looked in and they said, what is going on here? And of course it was said of the early believers, see how these Christians love one another. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples because you have love for one another. I wonder whether this commitment to the church and the life of one another was not excluding their thoughts about about the people outside. But it was such a community that it was attractive. And I believe that that should be an inspiration to us, that we shouldn't be afraid to be devoted to the local church, thinking, well, I can't give myself elsewhere. Be devoted to the local church in the way that it was described here. And we'll trust that God will add to our numbers daily, those who are being saved. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've shown us and told us what you think of the church, because we often don't think much of it, Lord. We see the faults. We see ourselves as imperfect members, but Lord, we thank you that you have shown us what you think about the church how highly you regard it, what place it has in history, what, what you gave to bring it into being. And Lord, we stand in awe of you. And Lord, we repent of any indifference to your church. Lord, we want to give ourselves wholeheartedly to your cause through the church. We want to see churches planted around this nation, Lord, that, that are demonstrating churches, demonstrating your love and your community in such ways that people are attracted. So, Father, we, we thank you for your word. We ask you that it will continue to take root in our lives and, and grow to effect. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.